0: All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer.
1: And Hunter Leon.
0: And a lot is going on in the playoffs as we're ramping up to the conference finals. Just one more series to go in the East, but so much to cover. Um, And I guess we could just jump right in by talking about some recent news. This happened just like a few hours ago, um, and that's Monty Williams being fired. Now, this has sort of like followed a trend of top head coaches around the league being fired after, you know, just a couple of disappointing playoff performances. Most recently, Mike Budenholzer with the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Monty Williams won coach of the year last year, uh, winning 64 games. That's like a franchise record in wins. And, you know, there's no shortage of 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 um head coaches who have, like, found tremendous success just to be fired uh, just a couple years later. So I mean, Hunter, what's your initial reactions to this move? Like, do you think it was justified? And yeah, just what? Yeah. You-
1: uh, <laughs> man, this is a crazy one because I wasn't expecting it. I don't think coaching has been the problem. Of the Suns. Uh, I yeah, think Bonnie yeah. Williams is a great coach. Coach the year in twenty twenty two. And he, I think for a long time, he's been considered one of the head, head coaches in the game. And, I mean, you know, we, you talked about how this trend has been continuing. Another guy that comes to mind that happened to this year, like Nate McMillan, he's the guy we didn't even talk about for the Hawks, who that he uh, was fired after some a rough patch this year. And there was a little more to that story than, like, I think Monty Williams because, you know, the whole Trae Young controversy yeah. between him him and Trae Young. Um, but getting back to Monty Williams – I think we're going to talk about the Suns as a whole, and, you know, moving forward with their loss to the Nuggets in six games. But I think their issues are more a personnel thing. I, I guess the only thing you could possibly say is it's clear that Monty Williams hasn't been a good player coach. Like, he hasn't kept the personalities of this team together very well, you know, because you have DeAndre Ayton, who's kind of turned a little sour, and, um, I guess you know Chris Paul's injury really did hinder them, and like there, I think there's just a lot more that goes into it than go. You can't just point, oh, Monty Williams, you're the reason for this because I don't know. All these head coaches being fired, some of the best head coaches in the league, just makes me think nothing's really going to change. They're all just going to be shuffled around to different teams. You know, it's not like they're yeah. making these big changes and bringing in new head coaches. They're just going to like. I'm sure that like a team like, I don't know, the. I don't know, who's the team that fired their coach? The, okay, the the Bucks could heavily wow. pursue yeah, the Bucks could pursue Monty Williams. You know, like to me, what's the point in that? You know, you just fired a long term coach that you have to, you know, try and find some new success, but you, your players have chemistry with these coaches already, they understand the systems. And sure, some things have been working, but I think we've talked about many times in this podcast coaches are the scapegoat in a lot of
0: cases. Yeah. Yes, I mean, like you said, this—the problem with this team is was never a coaching issue. I mean, Monty Williams is one of the best coaches in the league, and I think that's pretty like unanimous, unanimously agreed upon. Um, I think that you know, as we've talked about time and time again, and as you just mentioned, the easiest way to sort of placate fans and sort of create this illusion of improvement and progress and upward trajectory is just to fire the coach. You know. And I think this sort of comes um, like it sort of lines up with the era of player empowerment, as we've been calling it, because players like receive less and less of the blame for these playoff failures. You know, like front offices are pointing at head coaches. They're pointing at just other factors besides the players. And so what we're not seeing anymore is like coaches getting to sort of build a tenure, build a reputation with a team. We're never. I don't think we're going to really see a guy like Greg Popovich be able to sort of implement a system that he's able to sort of develop and and raise players through for five, ten years. You know, I don't think we're going to have that anymore. And it's honestly sad because it's those kinds of systems that sort of make teams, allow teams to be more than the sum of their parts. And I think that this constant fluctuation of coaches, it's just not good for the sport in general. Um, I don't really know how you would reverse this trend, but it's certainly not something that I'd like to see. You know, Monty Williams is a great coach. I would have loved to see him stay in Phoenix for five more years, you know?
1: I think you touched on something really important there, and that's this idea of like a lack of responsibility on the players. end. Uh, Yeah. Certain players have absolutely taken responsibility, uh, I thought Steph Curry's post game interview was a class act. You know, there's always those guys who are going to step up and take the blame like him. But then I look at a guy like Kevin Durant and I feel like he is a guy. Not that we need to start talking about like how his legacy is trending on all this stuff because I don't like I don't like this idea of like how legacy impacts players and stuff because I don't think that's what matters in the in these guys minds and what they're thinking in their head, especially a guy like Kevin Durant who's very clearly stated many times he doesn't care what other people think. But at the same time As a player, he needs to be able to accept more responsibility and say, my bad, I didn't have, like, Kevin Durant games. You got traded here for all these pieces to be the Kevin Durant that, you know, teams have seen you can be, and he just hasn't done that. I feel like we're getting getting the same thing from the past few years from Kevin Durant.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, we're going to talk in depth about, like, the Suns and, I guess, their failure this year. But I did want to ask and sort of give you a little quiz, Hunter, Mm, on the top five longest-tenured head coaches in the league. So I want you to – Is this current coaches? Current current coaches. And I want you to give me, like, who they are and also when they started coaching their team. Ooh, the year they started
1: coaching. That's tough. But, okay, I'm going to go first. Longest-tenured coach in the league. Very easy. Darvin (laughs) (laughs) Ham. No, but uh, Greg Popovich is going to have to be number one.
0: What's the year? You got the okay. year?
1: Let me, let me backtrack this. I'm going to say – definitely was coaching when Timmy got there first. So I'm going to go ahead and say 95.
0: Not bad. 95. 96, 96. Okay,
1: okay. I was close. I was yeah. close. All right. I feel like that's pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, no, uh, definitely. That was spot on.
1: Okay. Uh. Ooh, I got a good one in my Doc Rivers. Is he on the list, top five?
0: Oh I'm uh, sorry, okay. I meant um with their current team. That's that's oh, what I'm, Oh like...
1: oh with the same team. Okay. Yeah, um should have clarified that. Damn, that makes this tougher. Steve Kerr is has to be on the list. I feel yeah, like
0: yes. what number, number is he? Number three.
1: Number three? Yeah. Okay. So when did he get to the Warriors? That would have been twenty yeah.
0: thirteen? Twenty fourteen. You're you're basically money okay. with these. Yeah. You got number three. Um, what? You got to guess for number two.
1: Number two. I wonder how long Nick – no, no, it couldn't have been Nick Nurse because Nick Nurse got there in like 2020. 2020... Or no, he got there in 2019. Um. Ooh, how about Mike Malone? Is he on the list?
0: Yes, he's number four. Okay, okay.
1: So that means he has to have been there for less time than Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr was 2014. I'm going to go 2015.
0: Yep, twenty fifteen. Right.
1: Okay. Up. Okay. Wow, dude, I was expecting to do this good.
0: No. Number two, I'll give you a. Do you want, you want a huge hint?
1: Uh, not huge. Give okay, me a conference.
0: Okay. He's okay. He's in the Eastern Conference.
1: Eastern Conference. Yep. Current team, Eastern Conference. Okay, let me eliminate teams. It's not going to be Hawks. It's not going to be Celtics. It's not going to be Nets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ooh. I just got it. It's um, who's the Knicks head coach? Oh my god, it's it's the Knicks head coach, is it
0: not? (laughs) It's not. That's am I wrong? It's not Tom Thibodeau because if you remember, Tom Thibodeau. But is he five? uh, Is he number five? He's not number five. He was brought in, I think, in twenty twenty, as a head coach.
1: Oh oh oh! You know who it could be? Who is Rick Carlisle? How long has Rick Carlisle been around?
0: No, he's been there for a while. But if you remember. He was with Dallas, and then he got fired a couple years to bring in Jason Kidd, and then he got picked You're up. You're right. Off.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this was one is. Extremely... Oh, oh my god, uh, I'm crazy. Yeah.
0: Hey, Spo, it's Spo. Yeah, it's Spo. It's Spo. It's that, Spo. That,
1: that's a bad on my part. That's very yeah. clear. Spo's been in the league for a while. He's one of the best coaches. Uh Definitely.
0: we'll talk about him. For I'm gonna a go
1: ahead and say Spo was. He's relatively young, and he's. After Popovich, but before Kerr. Two thousand and ten. I'm gonna say same year as LeBron. Two thousand
0: and eight. Not bad. Okay, okay. Now this fifth one, I'll give you a hint. Uh they were a playoff team this year. Playoff team this
1: year, okay.
0: Uh this is not very obvious.
1: Okay. Is it
0: hmm?
1: Okay, I'm gonna throw a shot in the dark with this one. Ah, oh, this is tough, man. Tyron Lue, Ty Lue. No way he's been around that long. Okay, no. he no no can't be Ty It can't be Ty
0: because
1: the Clippers, they recently got him because Doc Rivers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, is Bud was it
0: Budenholzer? It was not Budenholzer, and they're still in the team. They're what? They're still coaching this team. Okay, they're still coaching this team, and they were a playoff um, team out west. That's a big hint. West.
1: Um, were we talking about him? Was it Monty Williams?
0: Not Monty Williams.
1: Oh, wait, 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 wait.
0: Hmm. It's they're not like a super long tenured coach. That's the thing. Like it's this one. I'll give you a big. It's okay. like we were hired in two thousand and nineteen. So it's like. Oh, so this is real
1: okay. Oh, you know what? I think this I know who this could be. Is this um Mike Brown?
0: It's not Mike Brown. Mike Brown was just hired.
1: Wait, no, hasn't he been there for oh you're right. Oh my god. I'm that's bad. Oh my god. This is <laughs> I look bad to the I look bad to the listeners. Twenty nineteen who is who the hell was hired in twenty nineteen? Give. you said the playoff team out west. Who have I gone through? God
0: you live. You yeah. eliminated the Suns, the Kings. Yeah, yeah. The Warriors, because it can't
1: be the Lakers. It can't be the Rockets. They just hired Emmanuel. I, I said,
0: I said, uh, a playoff team. The Rockets are not. A I know.
1: Playoff. Okay. Oh, playoff team. Is it Taylor Jenkins?
0: It is Taylor Jenkins.
1: What? I would have not
0: gotten that. but okay. Let's... The the whole point of this game, and also great job, clap it up. You did pretty well actually on that. I, but, I got the first three pretty easily. The whole point of that is like. These top three guys, right, Popovich, uh, Spolstra, Kerr, these guys have been able to develop and incorporate, like, systems where players have really thrived and flourished under, you know. Steph mm-hmm. Curry broke out and, like, became who he was in Steve Kerr's system where he had the green light to sort of take the shots that he he did and, like, become a unanimous MVP, you know, champion, all this thing. Spolstra, obviously, like, you know, he what he did with the Heatles like winning those championships when we just seeing it, even to this day is one of the best coaches in the league and Popovich, like if there was ever an example of like a coach running a system to like develop players, it would be him. But we're just not seeing that anymore. You know, like the fifth, like longest tenured coach in the NBA was hired four years ago. That's crazy.
1: That's ridiculous. And if you go back, I don't know, probably 10 years that, Top five are probably all at least tenure coaches.
0: Exactly. And so I don't know. It's just a trend. One, it's a highlight, and I thought it was pretty important. And it's definitely something to keep monitoring, like as co- head coaches come in and out, as I'm sure they will in the next yeah. few months and years.
1: I'd also like to talk about the fact that it's not just players grow under coaches, cro- coaches grow as well. So Mm -hmm. if you have a coach, especially first year or second year coaches, I understand it's a little bit of a different situation if you hire a guy like a Doc Rivers, or you hire a guy, I don't know, somebody who's a lot of experience, a Quinn Snyder, and they don't perform well. That's different than if you hire a new head coach and then just fire them a year later after they do bad. Yeah, exactly. But, But even, not only that, but players and and the coaches develop relationships and they grow together and the trust grows in the chemistry, just like players with players. So it's just a very complicated, uh, a system that's very complicated and it requires a lot of trust. And it doesn't seem like these front offices are trusting their coaches.
0: Oh yeah, no, definitely not. Um, and I think that like a lot of head coaches are sort of now looking, or a lot of front offices are looking for that sort of email you situation where you bring in a first time head coach and everything just clicks and mm-hmm. you, you know, make a deep playoff run and then battle for a championship. But that's just simply like not realistic. Um, but- and
1: that requires players, you know, and the right pieces. I mean, like,
0: I don't want Every- like to get too get into
1: Lakers talk, but like Darvin Ham, for example, horrible start to season, you know, player everyone was at his throat and he had, you know, a bad team. And now he gets a good team, the pieces that make sense, and he's doing incredibly. So it's it's it just goes to show it's not always the coach.
0: Uh, but we can move
1: on to the postseason now. Yeah, Let's get into this first series uh, that we saw, and that was the Suns-Nuggets series. Uh, and this ended in Suns losing to the Nuggets in six games. It's just, just an say, embarrassing loss.
0: Hunter, uh, your pick for NBA champion just lost in the second round, brother. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They weren't <laughs>
0: winning.
1: Whatever. Look, when we talked about this, I said my, my heart says they should win and my mind says they shouldn't. Or maybe it was vice versa. I don't remember. No. I should have gone with the other one, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. look, I, I bet on Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Or, sorry, not DeAndre Ayton. i would never bet on DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I bet on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant to make more shots on any given night than the Nuggets. And I don't think I underestimated Nuggets because I knew they were a good team. They've impressed me for sure. But, Kevin Durant disappointed me. Devin Booker was incredible and he had a historic postseason run this yeah, year. But incredible. Kevin Durant was very disappointing. He he didn't he wasn't the number one guy. It was Devin Booker every single night.
0: Yeah, and that's like, you know, you make that deal, you package two of your most valuable wings that were so big for you in that championship run or the finals run, sorry. Um, And then you bring a guy like Kevin Durant, you expect him to be productive. You expect him to take over games and to be that number one guy. But we just didn't see that. We saw good performances from KD, but good is just not good enough when you're basically, like, cutting apart your whole team to bring him to Phoenix. And so I would agree with you there. I think that he had a pretty disappointing playoffs. Um, Devin Booker, yeah, historic. I mean, the efficiency, this guy was scoring 40-plus every single night. Like doing it, you know, just as pure as you can get from the mid range, from the three, not even drawing fouls. Like I think he had a forty, uh, I want to say forty three point game with no free throws. Like that's almost unheard that's of stupid. in the modern day. Um, so just excellent performance from him. He obviously kind of dropped the ball in game six, but with the with like he was basically the entire offense for that Phoenix Suns team. So you can't really fault him for one lackluster performance. And then I just mm-hmm. want to say, like, look, we have to kind of say, okay, yeah, they didn't have Chris Paul for basically the whole series, and ate and missed game six, but I think with all that being said, this was a Phoenix Suns team that had to make the finals, you know? You don't have that, like, quote-unquote big four, and, and have KD and Booker, arguably two top 15 players playing together, to lose in the second round, so... I would say this is a big disappointment for the Suns. I like look, when we made that deal, I remember we talked about on this podcast how there was a lot of question marks, but then throughout the regular season, we sort of got lost in the sort of magic of this Phoenix Suns offense, but then the playoffs is really where their lack of depth and defense got exposed. So, there's some When we serious- saw
1: those issues um- we felt that they would do worse than the Mavericks, and it just didn't happen <laughs> in the regular season. At the very yeah, least,
0: that was not a great take. Saying the Mavericks would be a better team than the the Suns, but uh, we were like we were accurate in the sense that these were both pretty disappointing um, results. But yeah, yeah, I guess just like speaking as a whole, like what could the Phoenix Suns do to fix these issues? Do you think they should just be like, okay, let's just run it back next year? We weren't healthy. Or what do you like? If you're a doctor, how do you diagnose the Phoenix Suns?
1: Yeah, the Phoenix Suns have two major issues, I think. Um, culture, I think they need a culture, and I think they need to get rid of DeAndre. Those are two big things for them. I think Chris Paul. I think you could argue like you should get out of Chris Paul because of the contract. Like I don't think he's a bad player every single year is kind of one of two stories for him. Either he falls short because of his performance or he falls short because of injury. And that's just been the story of his career, which is really unfortunate because he's such a great player, but you know, how many years of this can you, same story can you watch and then expect him to not do it again? And with Deandre Aiton, I mean, he's just sorry. The only job he should have had was to box out Jokic, try and get boards, control the glass. Like, and they weren't even expecting that much. They're like, okay, please hold Jokic to like 10 boards a game. Like, even that's good. Couldn't even do that. I mean, and like the offensive rebounding of this this Nuggets team was incredible. DeAndre Aiden didn't look into it. He looked like he was complaining a lot. He just oftentimes just out of plays entirely, not paying attention. And that's just like beginning to mid-season behavior. That's not postseason behavior. So I think where I where I say that's a culture issue is I think Kevin Durant isn't the type of superstar to say, Give me the damn ball and get out of my way. He plays within the flow of the offense and it kind of just lets things come. I think that's an issue. Devin Booker did his part. He's the one guy he can't like say anything about. Like he just did what he needed to do. He's a guy who says, Give me the damn ball and I'm gonna do my best to win us this game. So I think it needs to be really Devin Booker who kind of just takes over. I feel like Kevin Durant is his co-star and they hit neither of them is like, this is my team. I think Devin Booker needs to go out there and say, you guys need to have more heart in this game. Here's the culture I'm establishing. This is my team.
0: Mm. I, I think
1: they need to have a cultural shift and maybe the coaching change will help with that as well if they have a coach who's more about energy and culture because obviously Monty Williams is a very laid back coach who doesn't really kind of provide those sorts of things.
0: Maybe so. And honestly, like, I'm glad you mentioned Aiden because I agree. Like, I think coming into this, we were talking about how Aiden is a soft player. Like, he is not a guy that you can rely on in the playoffs to step up to the physicality to take over games. He's just not that type of player. I mean, for you to be seven foot, a center making 30 plus million and to only average eight rebounds in a series where your rebounding is like will make or break games is pathetic. That's, like, actually disgraceful, you know? And so, Monty Williams, we know that there is some animosity between him, or at least tension between him and DeAndre Aiden. So maybe this is a move from the front office saying, okay, look, Monty Williams and Aiden don't work together. We have Aiden for at least four more years. It's going to be hard to ship him out. So, you know what we got to do? We just got to, like, stick with Aiden and just see if another head coach can maybe unlock him better. And maybe so. I mean, Aiden, he's a very talented player. He went number one overall for a reason, um, and we've seen flashes, we've seen glimmers of him being transcendent and being even in
1: past postseasons.
0: Exactly. Like in twenty twenty one, he had some very solid games, but he just has this tendency to just go missing, to just ghost entire games or series, and that's just not that you just can't have that from a guy who's supposed to be your basically number 3 best player on a championship contender. So I think that's the the big question this offseason is Deandre Aiden and then also filling out this roster. You need to get some yeah. really quality role players here because
1: wings especially.
0: Their lack of depth like really, you know, bit them in the ass this series. They were relying on like Tory Craig and Jock Landale for like key minutes to produ- provide production on the offensive end. and like, that's Damian
1: not- Lee was getting the most minutes off the bench.
0: That's yeah. bad. It was not good. And, you know, Denver was just killing them. If We, we could just talk about Denver quickly. Um, so I want to give a lot of credit to Jokic. I mean, he was dominant this series. We expected this, but, like, man, he, he even went beyond my expectations. 35-13-10, averaging a triple-double. You know, he had a game where he had fifty three, four, and eleven. They did lose that one, but still he was just taking over this game. Um, you know, basically like every part of the game ran through him on offense. Like he was playmaking, he was getting offensive rebounds, he was scoring too, like he was being aggressive. So I was very impressed. And then also like Jamal Murray as well. Um, but I mean do you want to talk a little bit of maybe about the Denver's bench and how they sort of were a big reason as to why Denver took the series so convincingly.
1: Yeah, I mean the bench versus bench battle—it was just insane. Um, I mean, you're getting having to play if you're the Suns. Um, sorry, one second. I'm just looking up the minutes played from some of these bench guys for the Nuggets really quickly. While like, you I don't do watch that. the games but I just want to be accurate.
0: While you um, while you do that, I just want to say really quickly. I think yeah, this game ahead. was a lot more. This series was a lot more lopsided than the sort of score suggests it went six games, but really like this could have been over in five. Um, I think that, you know, the nuggets had a couple chances to really like steal one in Phoenix. Um, they just didn't. And like, this was, in my opinion, the nuggets looked like the better team, the entire series, Phoenix got lucky to walk away with two wins. Um, so I just want to mention that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But talking about this bench versus bench battle, I mean, Bruce Brown was really great for this team. I mean, he, provided yes. solid minutes off the bench, kind of knows how KD plays, defended them on a few possessions, come out and provide some quick offense and just fit really well into their whole system. Jokic is just such a great orchestrator. I mean, Jeff Green, just a good veteran presence to have out there. He's also played alongside KD, I believe at some points in his career. Um, so, yeah. you know, just, it's just some good leadership to have out there. And I think the most impressive to me who stepped up the most off the bench, who you wouldn't expect was Christian Braun, the rookie for mm-hmm. this team. Uh, came in, he had some quality shots, uh, some really quality defense, which is really hard to come in to do as a rookie. And I just think everyone on this, this Nuggets team just orchestrated their defense beautifully to hide Jokic, because it was always the question was, how do you you know, hide Jokic on, on this team? And I think the size of Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and KCP has really allowed them to do that, crash the glass with Jokic, and kind of just use uh like Aaron Gordon's verticality threat as a way to deter people from getting to the rim.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I I want to say like Michael Porter Jr. had a, a couple of great games this, this season or not this season, this series. The same with KCP. Um so honestly, like this Nuggets team is legit. I think people sort of kind of view them always as a one seed, um as like a fake one seed quote unquote, or like, you know, kind of like the Utah Jazz a, a few years back where They weren't going to be a real playoff contender. But no, this Nuggets team is a legitimate title threat. I mean, they have a superstar in Nicole Jokic, a perfect complementing cast. And I just think that, you know, this team is extremely well coached as well. We want to talk about coaches. Michael Malone is one of the best there is. I think one thing that's very emblematic of his coaching style is like this guy maintains intensity throughout the game. Doesn't matter when. They were up 30, and then the Suns cut it to 20. and He's yelling at his team, saying, Guys, if you want to win this, we got to keep that intensity. Like, he's yelling like they're down five at the end of a game seven, but you yeah. know, they're, they're coasting to a win. So, I don't
1: know if you saw, but he, like, they interviewed him, but he had no voice to interview with. He was like,
0: Yeah, I got, I, you to save my voice for the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, that's the type of intensity that they have in the Nuggets, and honestly, they're just a fun group of players to watch. I'm a, I'm a fan of this Nuggets team. Not at, not for next series, though, because, you know, Lakers <laughs> are playing them, but, yeah, no, r- r- props to them, and, you know, props to Nikola Jokic. I think that a lot of people had doubts about him and whether he could, like, deliver in the playoffs, and I think that he sort of put those um, doubts to rest.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think necessarily people had doubts about his actual play. I think people had doubts about if his play would translate to postseason success. Yeah, I mean, like if he could actually win in the playoffs, like <laughs> yeah, and- which he's shown. I think also surrounding him with good role players and good wings has been the difference because I don't think this team has had this many good quality defensive
0: wings. Well, ever. I just think I think it's more of it's more of a health thing. Like I don't think that that too know, Murray and Porter Jr. have been healthy since twenty twenty and when the they bubble. Were- they made you know the conference finals before. We were seeing a very similar story. You know, a um, lot of teams that are making the conference finals were the same teams that made the conference finals. In Possibly all four.
1: Possibly yeah. all four. We'll talk about the next series though, uh, and that is the Miami Heat beating the Knicks in six games.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: was a tough fought series, just a really gritty series. Definitely. Uh Just one that was actually really fun to watch. Kind of like the grind, like the defense and just the toughness. Um, So just give me your thoughts on this series. What do you think of the heat moving forward? And what do you have to say about some of these Knicks? Like some guests that pop into mind, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson had an incredible series. What do you think of Julius Randle? Uh, Just tell me all about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is like, obviously a pretty like historic rivalry. Um, Like they were, they went at it really in the like eighties and nineties. And this series kind of felt like a blast from the past. almost like, Pretty low scoring games, very defensively minded, really like, you know, teams have to battle for uh, every bucket, very physical. And so, like you said, it was a very entertaining series to watch. I think that the Heat, though, were a much better team through and through. Um, I don't think, I I don't know, I'm just, I don't think a team that relies on Julius Randle as a number two option is ever really going to make it too far. I was impressed, like, thoroughly, though, by Jalen Brunson let's just give him his flowers a lot of people were sort of doubting the contract that the Knicks gave him after he had that sort of breakout playoff performance last year in the playoffs but you know we got to look at him right now I'm when I see Jalen Brunson right now I kind of see James Harden when I when he went to the Houston Rockets we're talking about a, a six man who sort of got a big deal being the star of his own team And they're just sort of emerging and and becoming a transcendent talent. And, you know, you can't say he didn't do anything except play incredibly in this series. He was their best player in basically every single minute he was on the floor, delivered scoring, playmaking, even getting some boards, even though he's a smaller guy. And, you know, doing his work on the defensive end as well. So big props to Jalen Brunson. I think that some of the other guys stepped up occasionally. RJ Barrett had a good series, which is very encouraging to see if you're a Knicks fan. Josh Hart sort of did all little things. His shooting was kind of off, but, you know, that's going to happen. Um, I just think that, you know, they needed more from those those other guys around them, like guys like Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly. Those guys really were nowhere to be seen this series, and they needed them. I don't think that, you know, that for this Heat team – if you want to talk about that a little more. This is a team that's missing Tyler Hero, missing Victor Oladipo, key rotational guys, and yet they still kind of won this one pretty handedly. So, I mean, they even missed Jimmy Butler in this series. For, exactly, for the they missed him game two. So, like, talk to me about what you saw from Jimmy Butler and his Miami Heat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this was a really good series for Gabe Vincent and Max Drews. They just both stepped up at different times, hitting shots, kind of stepping in, especially in game two where they almost went up 2-0, going back home against the Knicks. I mean, this was just a great series for all the real players. This heat culture really did feel real. I think Kyle Lowry um, to come off the bench in the second half of this series was great. I think starting, he was all right. But, you know, you put Gabe Vincent and Max Drews together because they were both playing so well. And Kyle Lowry did an amazing job being that sixth man, Uh, you know, getting charges and playing defense and being tenacious and doing all the things that Kyle Lowry does and still hitting some shots. Uh, Caleb Martin played really well in the series yep. as well. I think he provided great minutes off the bench. And also let's take a minute to talk about Duncan Robinson, because yep. this guy came in getting no minutes this entire year and just lit up the three point line and really did show, Hey, maybe I am worth my contract a little bit. Um, You know, he stepped up really well for Tyler Hero and, I think this was just an entire team effort. I mean, Kevin Love even had games like where I was like, "Whoa, that's like you know a little bit of a throwback." I see Kevin Love has 14 rebounds, in the, you know, a game or something like that. And then I mean, you can't talk about this team without talking about Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo had a great uh, last game. He had 23 points, nine boards. I just felt like there's only positives to talk about this team. Like. The only person like I can't say anything about is Cody Zeller, but like it's Cody Zeller. Come on, like what am I gonna yeah. say about him? Uh so like I just thought everybody played a big role and they just had collective wins. And I felt like the Knicks couldn't be a collective unit that was winning together. It was more individual.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel I feel like a lot of the times I was like, all right, Jalen Brunson, bail us out or Randall trying to make something happen. But I think the Knicks are still struggling to sort of find that cohesive offense that, you know, allows them to get just easy buckets or, you know, to allow guys to just sort of hit shots in rhythm and play within a system. I think that's something that, you know, they can look to build upon. Because you see Miami, they look pretty comfortable throughout the series, you know? They just sort of were playing the offense, playing their system, obviously incredibly well coached under Eric Spolstra. And that just allowed the role players to hit three-point shots, you know? I think Miami really just, like, Shot them out of the water in this series. Um. So also one thing that the Knicks sort of lacked was were those kind of knockdown shooters. Um. That was a big struggle that they had. Emmanuel
1: quickly didn't have a good series.
0: Yeah. So like he's supposed to be that guy that's sparkled off the bench, but still, I would love to see the Knicks pick up a, a just a dead eye sniper this off season because uh, I think that would really be a useful piece for them. Um. But yeah, credit to the Heat their next man uh next man up mentality is pretty much unmatched. They got guys out there that I've never heard of, Haywood Highsmith giving them very quality minutes in the playoffs. Yeah. And so, big credit to Miami and honestly, we owe Jimmy Butler an apology because I, I think, don't. Okay, well, I'm just saying <laughs> NBA world as a collective cuz yes, all kind I of agree. Like, we all kind of wrote them off like didn't really consider the Heat to be serious contenders. Um, when they were, you know, battling for the play-in and had those early-season struggles in the regular season. But, you know, here they are, eighth seed, second time in NBA history, making the conference finals. It's incredible. And, you know, they got a real chance of making it back to the NBA finals. And a lot of that comes on the shoulders of Jimmy Butler and his just incredible performance. So credit to him, credit to uh, Eric Spolstra and the whole Miami Heat organization. It's going to be great conference finals, regardless of who they play.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm very excited for this conference finals. And real quick, hopping back on the Knicks, I just had one final question for you. Yeah. If you're the New York Knicks organization, you look at your team and you say, I'm happy with this run we had because I think, not necessarily we played above expectations, but we hit where we like thought we could be.
0: Yeah. But how do you move forward from there? I think for the Knicks right now, this is where you're like, okay, we have our solidified star in Jalen Brunson. Now we just need that complimentary star that we know we can rely on you know every every great star has their best co-star you know even in these playoffs braun has ad butler has bam who i'd say ad has braun i don't know okay i'm just you know just yeah yeah Jokic has murray but you know randall goes mia too much for brunson to really rely on him like that so i think that you know the knicks got to be monitoring some of the star player situations around the league maybe this is the year Dame finally does get traded. In that case, their name has to be in that uh in the raffle for that. You know, they obviously missed out on Donovan Mitchell, but, you know, a guy like that would be perfect for this team. So that's how I think they can make that next leap up. And I think this was a very successful season for New York as well, so nothing to be ashamed of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But let's move on to this next series, my personal favorite. Uh, And one we both had actually – Predicted correctly. Seems we keep predicting these Lakers series right. Lakers beat the Warriors in six games. Uh, I think, uh, you know, this was a series that looks closer on paper than it was. I really do think there was a big gap between these teams, um, which was unfortunate because I thought the Warriors would put up a good fight, which they did a lot of the time, but it also seemed out of reach a lot of the time. It felt like it was coming in waves, um, which, you know, you do get that with the Warriors. But I think part of that comes with the fact that in games two through six, Clay averaged 11 points and Jordan Poole averaged six points. In games two through six, Jordan Poole had more field or more turnovers than field goals made. That's horrible. He had 14 turnovers and 13 field goals made. Um, So, you know, that's just you can't win basketball like that. Um, But tell me what you saw from this series, Lakers versus Warriors.
0: I mean, what I saw from this series was the Lakers' depth. Like, honestly, I saw the Lakers as being one of the best coached and deepest teams in the NBA. You know, like, each night it felt like it was a different role player stepping up and, and really, like, contributing, whether it was Lonnie Walker in the fourth quarter of Game 4, Austin Reeves in Game 6, Rui had his moments, Dennis Schroeder playing great defense. Um, I mean, the the list goes on. And then I saw Anthony Davis at times look like the best, like one of the best players in the world and definitely the best defender in the world. He was playing like phenomenal defense. Literally the entire painted area was locked down and shut out of scoring for the Warriors due to one man. And that's just incredible. Like he was racking up blocks, steals, deflections, you name it. Bron had a couple of vintage performances here and there. It does look like he that that foot is bothering him. He just doesn't have that same explosiveness. Except in uh, Game Six, that's not that's not stopping as as you just yeah. said. Game Six, he had a great closeout performance in um, a very much needed win. Um, and then for the the Warriors, I weird I don't know. It's just yeah.
1: I I, I want to talk a yeah, little bit about. Let, let me talk about Anthony Davis for a second.
0: Let's talk about the Lakers first, then we'll jump yeah. to it. I don't Lakers. think
1: – yeah. I think there's more honestly talk about the Warriors than with the Lakers, but yeah, with the Lakers, I don't think we give Anthony Davis enough credit. And, like, I, I, we can say this over and over and over, but even, like, in our conversations about Anthony Davis, we're like, man, the NBA doesn't respect him. He doesn't get defensive teams. He doesn't get all NBA teams. What's going on? You know, I think it goes beyond that. I think even when we watch his game, the impact that Steph Curry had on offense, Anthony Davis had the equivalent impact on defense, and we just don't think about it like the same way we do with the offense. Anthony Davis is so good defensively that every single shot that anyone took when they were near him, they second guessed. It, yeah. it was it's just ridiculous. They I mean like you're watching Steph Curry taking like the easiest floater of his life, and then Anthony Davis just looks like he's about to jump for it, and then he just like throws it like two four two to three feet off and you're like whoa why would stuff do that that's just his he bothers you that freaking much it's insane the defense he's playing and i really don't think any player has done this historically this good in the postseason in like 50 years i think we're seeing generational like not just generational like all-time level defense it, yeah, it's right. just beautiful to watch um, but going beyond Anthony Davis, like you were saying, every single night was a different role player. Austin Reeves had his games. Lonnie Walker. What an incredible story yeah. in game four to get the Lakers the win Uh, 15 points in the fourth quarter and just took over the game. Rui Hachimura had his moments. Jer- Jared Vanderbilt played some solid defense in the series. Um, just I thought this was a good collective effort from the Lakers as well. And like you said, it showed off their depth.
0: Do you have anything
1: else to add about the Lakers?
0: I mean, yeah, I also want to say just in that mention of players having their moments, D'Angelo Russell. Oh, of course. How could I forget in this series and like, you know, his like he had a bit pretty tough series against Memphis, but he really showed out in this series against the Warriors. I also want to uh, say a couple more things. One, credit to Darvin Ham. I think he had an amazingly coached series, making all the necessary adjustments. When Jared Vanderbilt on Steph Curry wasn't working, you know he made the necessary adjustment to put Dennis Schroeder on him, and that worked. Look,
1: speaking him. of another guy who I would like to give credit to, to stepped up and just play great.
0: Yeah, yeah, he doesn't get enough credit, man. He is, I think, in terms of value per like contract, probably one of the best in the league. Just for what you're getting in terms of what you're paying for, he's a guy on a vet men contract, and he's a like legitimate playoff starter for us yeah
1: so, like think about other guys on Batman contracts in the nba today you're like talking about like alex len and like
0: yeah you know just random
1: guys random players
0: so like big credit to dennis and yeah i want to say like this is a great coach series from uh darwin ham credit to or i want to give a apology to lonnie walker because yeah. I think it was literally on the last episode we were talking about how he wasn't in the rotation anymore, he didn't fit, and that all seemed to be true, but, you know, the expression is correct. You got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready, right? And this was a guy that stayed ready. He came in at the fourth quarter in garbage time, Darwin was impressed with what he saw, put him into the game, the next game, and he just impressed and took over and single-handedly pretty much won us that game four in the fourth quarter with his shot making. Um, and so credit to him. It just shows like, if you're a guy like Duncan Robinson, a guy like Lonnie Walker, a guy who's got talent, a lot of heart, you know, just stay ready for your moments, you know, because you just got to perform in those moments and you never know what happens. And yeah. So, and he's, he's a, very a, very a really
1: great sport. dude. Yeah. And, uh, LeBron James and Darvin Hammett both talked about how guys in that position, especially young guys often get discouraged and kind of, lose who they are as players cuz they always they've always been that guy. Think about who every every single NBA player has always been that guy their entire life. Get to the NBA, get some quality minutes, and then you finally get to start on, you know, a team and you think it's going in your direction and not even necessarily because of your play, but just because some circ- circumstances pull you out entirely and you just stop playing. But he stayed ready, stayed positive, got his opportunity and now he's probably going to get another bag this offseason because of the play he's had so far in this postseason.
0: Yeah, so honestly, major props to him. It's really happy to see. Um, if you know a little bit about Lonnie Walker and what he's had to go through, it's just really inspirational to see what he's doing here in the playoffs. So credit to him. And just honestly, I'm, I'm, we we could talk about the Lakers for a little bit. Yeah, let's do. move on to the Warriors, though. But I just want to say, like, Lakers back in the conference finals, I just want to say, where are the haters at now that said we would lose and uh, to the Warriors? And look at us. We're back. Now that we're healthy, we're back in the conference finals. So make it that what you will.
1: Absolutely. All right. Let's get, let's get some Warriors talking here because there's plenty to talk about them.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you first. I want to ask you a definitive statement. Is this the end of the Warriors dynasty and the end of Steph, Clay, and Draymond playing together? No. Interesting. No to which question. This
1: is not the end of the dynasty for the, or not the end of the run between Steph Clay and Draymond. Okay, I re- I really do think, and Warriors executives believe this. Uh, I think this is uh, from Shams or someone that they think that a core of Steph Clay and Draymond Green can win them another title. The periphery pieces, and honestly, even Clay Thompson was very disappointing in this series. Draymond Green had incredible, some incredible games in there. He looked really good. He looked aggressive. He played his role well, uh, except, you know, he did the typical Draymond things like constantly hitting people and getting into foul trouble and yelling at the refs. Um, but for the most part, this was a good Draymond Green series. I think maybe Clay Thompson will take a pay cut. Maybe Draymond will take a pay cut because I do think these guys still love each other and they want to play together. If I'm the Warriors, I'm looking at what I can do to move Jordan Poole Jonathan Kuminga. i probably try to keep Moses Moody because I think he was great for them.
0: He was very but, good.
1: But I think you try to move Kuminga and Poole and see what the, the market's looking like for maybe some more solid veteran wing players or or even a big like a real big. I think that um, the Lakers kind of exposed that they can't play Draymond Green and Caban Looney on the court at the same time in the postseason because they just don't have enough spacing even with The best shooters, the two best shooters in the league on the court at any given time. That's just not enough spacing to have two guys who can't shoot the ball. So I think that's going to be kind of a tough position because it's really hard to find shooting bigs like that. Um, And Kevon Looney's a good player, so who knows? Maybe they even try to move Kevon Looney because I think they can get a lot of value for him. I think it's tough though because I really do think they want to keep this core together because I can't imagine Steph Curry playing without Draymond Green. It just
0: does not work in my head I mean crazier things have happened you know I think that a lot of the moves in recent history we've just been like that's so crazy um and like you know you could have never seen this coming
1: watch for Steve Kerr is gonna get fired
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're gonna have like a slow start to the season next year like you know a three and twelve start and then it's like Steve Kerr just gets fired but uh, (laughs) I was gonna say If you were talking about shooting big, I know this name has been in circulation around the Warriors for a while, but I would love to see Miles Turner on this team. Like, he would fit their Mm -hmm. system so well, and if I'm Bob Myers and the Warriors front office, I try to make that move done. But Maybe like a Jordan Poole for him? I disagree with you. Okay, that's a terrible deal for the Pacers. I don't know why you would ever do that, but look. Jordan Poole has a lot of potential. Like we can but talk about Jordan Pool and picks or something. He's also shown, and especially in this season and this postseason, he's a very immature player and he has a lot of learning to do. I think that the Warriors were a little premature in giving him that huge bag um, because now they have to deal with him. You know, like he is a turnover machine. He takes a lot of very questionable shots. And when his shot's not falling – he is just genuinely a terrible defender. So there's not much out there that he's really providing. So I kind of disagree with you. I think that this is not the end of the Warriors dynasty, but I think this is the end of the Draymond, Clay, and Steph era. I think that Draymond mm-hmm. is going to move elsewhere. I don't think he's going to come back to Phoenix. or Sorry, to uh, Golden State. He could go to Phoenix, honestly. <laughs> That's, yeah. that, that would be a bad move. But I will say that... Look, I think if anything, this sort of run this year and their season as a whole just kind of showed like it's kind of over. Um, I think that you know Clay had a terrible year, uh, or a terrible postseason, and this this series especially, like he just shot them out of the building, um, in a bad way. Like he literally built enough bricks to build another arena, um, for yeah. them to play basketball in.
1: It's just unfortunate because I feel like he was just missing shots he usually makes.
0: I know. So it just wasn't a great sign. And I think that, you know, they're all getting up there in age and, you know, nothing lasts forever. I think it was kind of crazy how everything culminated perfectly for them to win that championship in 2022. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of great basketball they have to play, but I'm not necessarily sure it's together. Like, I think Draymond can still be a big contributor in a championship team. I just don't know if it's with the Warriors. This whole season just felt off for the Warriors from the very beginning, from the whole Draymond pool scuffle, Andrew Wiggins missing a lot of time due to that personal, um, that personal situation, um, you know, Curry missing time with injuries. They just could never really like get cohesive and get some momentum and sort of feel like that Warriors from last year so. It was a big disappointment for Warriors fans, I'm sure. Um, but honestly, this could be a blessing in disguise if the Warriors come back retooled with a new look and new energy next year.
1: Yeah, I just... I don't know what that new energy looks like because I think the magic of Steph, Clay and Draymond is they know, they know each other so well. And that's what a lot of Steph created run around the floor like he does. So I don't know that no matter what you do, you can create a system. You can't just build... 12 years of chemistry overnight, you
0: know? That is so, true.
1: But still, I, I I don't, I think this team is going to stay together. I think they're going to retool the periphery, periphery pieces and keep that three together as long as they can and ride it out because they clearly still have the ability to play at a high level
0: and get to the NBA Finals.
1: I think it would be premature to to let them go right now.
0: That's fair. I just think that, honestly, it's for their own sake. I think that, you know, like towards the end of a dynasty because we have to admit like this is on the tail end of the dynasty. Like you gotta sort yeah. of, kind of spice things up. I think that you know the formula is a bit old, a bit stale, and you gotta try some new things. Maybe Miles Turner is that piece. That that would be my move if I'm Bob Myers. But yeah, I but want- I
1: think you can still keep Steph Clanger and maybe get
0: a and get a Miles Turner. Maybe so if that's an option that's on the table you gotta seriously consider it. But yeah, absolutely. I just, that's just what my gut is telling me,
1: but, but moving back onto the series, I just want to, I want to,
0: I want can you just Go talk ahead. about Steph Curry? I just want to give him his flowers. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I was going to actually get into giving some guys their flowers, but man, Steph Curry, just ridiculous in the series, hitting some incredibly tough shots. I mean, he was able to still make shots over Anthony Davis, which you couldn't say about most people in the league. He was able to facilitate. I think the most impressive thing was his facilitating. Yep. He was just a very high level facilitator. Got his guys involved, and he he should have been averaging fifteen assists a game just based on the passes he was giving. Just guys weren't knocking down the shots that he was providing them the chance to hit, and it it was just really incredible to watch the magic that is Steph Curry because he was the life soul and the only positive thing coming out of this team aside from Gary Payton, who I also think I could give a lot of positive energy towards because I thought he played great defense against D'Angelo Russell, Thought he provided great rim running and offense for them and hit some key threes as well. Um, so I think they loved his energy, and I think he'll be back next year. But it, it's just tough because Steph Curry was just so incredible, but nobody else really came to help him. And that, that was the story of this series.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, you got to give it like he did all he really could do. If you look at his efficiency, like, yeah, it wasn't great, but that's because he ha- tried to just, like, do all he could, you know, try to take over this game, and, you know, just some of those shots weren't falling. I mean, credit to the Laker defense as well. But, yeah, Steph Curry had a masterful series um, in every regard. Like, his playmaking was so dominant. He was winning some games and spurring Warriors runs without even ha- him having to score the ball, which was incredible to see. So, yeah, I think that besides that, not not too many positives. I mean, Looney had an okay series. Wiggins had an okay series. Um, I think DiVincenzo had a couple bright moments here and there, but Mo- Moody had a couple great, uh, gr- some good moments as well. And I think that's encouraging, especially because he's one of those younger guys. But yeah, besides that, um, not not great. But we can move on to talk about the last series in the second round, Boston versus Philly. This one's going to be finishing up tomorrow with a game seven in Boston. This series is all knotted up three, three. So first Hunter, who do you have winning this game tomorrow? And what have you seen throughout the series? That's sort of informing that pick.
1: I think it's a stupid decision, but it's a decision I said when we had the last pod sixers and seven, that's what I had last, last pod. From what I've seen in this series, I think the, the Sixers very well can win this game. I'm not just saying it's a stupid pick because I don't think they can. I think it's a stupid pick because I think the Celtics have been really good, and Jason Tatum has been had such a strange series, but he's been good down the stretch of games. Um, Jalen Brown has been super consistent. Marcus Smart has played great defense. Al Horford just very consistently knocking down threes and playing good he's defense not against Joel Embiid.
0: Though not this series. Yeah, he, no
1: he he's been hitting some threes. He's been hitting timely threes. Not like all of his threes. He's been hitting timely. Threes. Oh, but he's been like I think super he off. No, he, but okay, he's been off in the series overall. But I'm saying he's hit timely shots. I think okay. everyone in this on this team has. Sure. So. And I mean, at the same time though, I think when you look at what this this Philly team has had to offer James Harden has had his games and he's had his off games, but I think James Harden's coming to play tonight or sorry, not tonight. I think James Harden's coming to play tomorrow. I think Joel Embiid is going to be very aggressive. They're going to look to get him the ball. And I also think Tyrese Maxey is going to come to play. And when those, all three of those guys are firing on all cylinders, I don't think the Celtics can do much to stop them.
0: But we haven't seen that. We haven't seen all three of them click together. We've seen yep. Harden and Embiid and, and play together but like play well together, but that didn't even translate to a win. So I think that what I saw in game six, I think that was the Sixers best chance by far. They were leading that game basically the whole way through. Tatum was having a horrendous night and then they just kind of collapsed in the fourth quarter. Literally looked like they gave up. They were walking back on defense like moving extremely lethargically like they were already ready getting ready for that game seven which was incredible to see because the game was still within reach and i just doc rivers as a coach has a tendency to collapse and his offense just get just gets incredibly stagnant and it's hard for me to place my trust with doc rivers the celtics have not been a very encouraging team throughout the series they've looked incredibly flat at times tatum has been Super slow to start these games. Like one point in the the half, slow. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, like a team they probably should have swept the Hawks. Won two games, like that's like yeah. pretty unacceptable if you're Boston.
0: And I and I said this last time. I'll say it again. This team is not the same team that they were last year. I think even if they win this series, they are losing to the Heat. Um, but I actually do think they're going to win tomorrow. Unfortunately, I'm not a Boston fan. And I, I mean, for obvious reasons, but I think that, you know, at home, I think Tatum is going to look to get going early. I think he realized like, you know, he can't have one of those stinkers of uh, halves. It just makes things much harder. Um, but the thing team. is,
1: he has been looking to get going. He's just been missing his shots.
0: He's like going know, over but like 12 look, in the first half. Law of averages, right? He's going to start. They're yeah. going to start falling. It's not like he's getting bad looks. The shots just aren't falling. And Brown, like, as you said, he's been Mr. Consistent. Credit to Malcolm Brogdon as well. Like, six-man. Yeah, that's league. another guy. He's been watching him play. He's just so solid, you know? So fundamentally sound. He'll score in the least flashy way possible, but he does, like, almost everything right. Marcus Smart's been playing great defense. Rob Williams, in the limited minutes he's been in, like, has been productive. Derek um,
1: White has been pretty decent as well.
0: Yeah, and so, like, look, I think that... I could very well see the Sixers winning this, but it would take a lot more. Like I think seven out of ten times Boston wins this, and so I just gotta roll with this. I gotta roll with the percentages here.
1: Yeah, I I think that's fair. I mean, Boston definitely has to be favored. I don't know. I think that Philly can pull this off. I think it's going to require a good game from Tobias Harris, which we have not seen really this series.
0: He's been very missing.
1: He's he has been missing, which again I think that's an, maybe a lot of averages too. Maybe he has a good game, steps up in game seven. Um which I'd bet on Tatum over Tobias Harris any day. But I I do think that this Philly team has more potential improvements to make than this Celtics team.
0: Like I think the-
1: I think it's close. I think it's close, but I think the the biggest adjustment for this Boston team is Tatum just has to start playing good. I think there's a lot more things you can look at with this Philly team and say, okay, he's playing bad, he's playing okay, he can play better. I, I just think there's more possibilities also, for like to look, elevate their, their play. Look,
0: as I mentioned earlier, like Al Horford has been shooting dreadfully, and this is a guy that normally is a knockdown shooter in the playoffs. So if just a few of those shots start hitting, like this is a drastically different series. And I think that, yeah. as I said, the biggest nightmare for the Sixers Is within their own coaching staff, Doc Rivers, because even if they're up late in the fourth quarter, that is a very susceptible lead, and you know they could crumble at any moment. I was gonna
1: say that's one coach where I feel like justifiably could be fired.
0: Yeah, (laughs) and (laughs) honestly, I think Sixers fans, you know, would be like happy all around if if he was. But I I'm gonna be rooting for Philly tomorrow. I hope that they win. Unfortunately, I think this is going to be Boston winning. Um, so let's just give our predictions for the conference finals here. So Nuggets, Lakers, and then I guess we'll do a, a both like Sixers heat and Celtics heat.
1: Lakers and six again. I'm going to go Lakers with 6-6-6 six, six, six going through the Western Conference. I think they can do it again. Okay. What do you got,
0: Rafa? You got Lakers and six. Very little, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs>
1: uh. look. I think I think it's realistic. I think I've seen a lot online of like, oh, Nuggets in five, Lakers in five. This is a very close series, and I think it's a six or seven game series, and I think each game is going to be close. I like some of these six game series. I've been like, oh, one team really convincingly won. This is going to come down to the wire in most of these games.
0: Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm even tempted to go seven here. I think that you know. Jokic is going to have games where he just takes over and just like, you know, he's one guy that I think AD can slow down, but he's never going to be able to fully stop because Jokic's game just relies on such finesse and, you know, being physical with him, it only is going to slow him down, but he's going to get his production going regardless. So honestly, I'm going to change my pick slightly. I'm going to go Lakers in seven, actually.
1: Oh, wow. Big pick to win in uh, in Denver. But I will say it's been pretty interesting this year. The Lakers and the Nuggets split the season series. Um, Anthony Davis did have a great, great uh, series against the Nuggets this year. But it's been close. This is a really close battle.
0: But didn't we have Westbrook when we beat them? Yeah, we did. <laughs> so it's a very, very different uh, got, team. With look. a grain of salt. A big grain of salt. Yeah. How, and uh, I'll uh, just say one thing. In garbage time, when you know teams empty their benches and they bring in all the reserves, I literally get PTSD when we bring Shaq Harrison, number zero, mm-hmm. <laughs> off the bench because he kind of looks like Russ and he kind of plays like Russ, and it's like it's I'm scarred, man. Like it's it gives me PTSD. That's funny. All right,
1: let's get into this last one right here, or at least last two, I should say. Yeah. Assuming the Celtics win. Who you got between the Celtics and Heat.
0: Honestly, I honestly have the Heat winning either of these and I do. In like six games. Wow.
1: Well, I think the Heat are a better team as well. I'm gonna take the Heat in seven against the Celtics. I think that's a close series. We've seen what that looks like. And I think this time the Heat just slightly best them, just like the Celtics slightly bested them last time. I just think Jimmy Butler's a different guy. And I think this Heat team is better than even people give them credit for it still. Um, what do you got if it's a, uh, if it's a Sixers heat series?
0: See, the problem here is, I I don't know. I can't really trust Bam at a bio to do anything against Joel Embiid. I think he would have a phenomenal series tearing that one up, but also conversely, who's stopping Jimmy Butler? I don't think the Sixers really have a guy for that. Um, and so I would still take heat and six, um, I think that Heat are... Okay, wait. I'll, I'm going to revise my pick slightly. I'm going to say the Celtics win this one in seven if it's Celtics-Heat, but then the Heat would beat the Sixers in six. Just because... That's interesting that you say that. They, they, missing Tyler, Hero, and Victor Oladipo, I think, are, are really going to like be highlighted in a series like that where depth is really important.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I kind of have the opposite. I'm going to take my Heat in seven against the Celtics. But I think Joel Embiid is unstoppable in that series because Bam Adebayo, sure, he's a great defender, but I just don't think they have enough. Um, And they have no depth at the center position for the Heat. Uh, So I'm taking Philly in seven in that series. I think it's – I don't know, man. I I, it's hard for me to imagine Jimmy Butler, mid range, and free throw line kind of shots beating out Joel Embiid just dunking every time.
0: I mean, we'll have to see. But the thing problem with that though is I'll just say, Joel Embiid is not the type of guy to go dunking down the floor every single time. He's a guy, and he also
1: is injured right now, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, sometimes he settles for the three and for the mid range, kind of like AD, you know. So just want to put this is true. But I guess all that's right. a place to call it. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see if our predictions end up panning out. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Take care. Peace. Bye.